In our inner journey of transformation, sleep is a key factor. In today's episode, we answer three key questions. What does transformation mean? How can you know what you need beyond just a good night's sleep? Recovery and sleep are an essential part of a transformational process. What does that look like in our current world? Antisa Jensen is an emotional intelligent expert who loves to shift paradigms through pitch perfect truth telling. She is masterful in the art of weaving potent and precise energetic transmission through eloquent spoken word and captivating moments of silence in ways that dismantle the intellect and peer straight to the heart of things instantly unlocking hidden potential and the kind of resonance and connection we all crave antisa specializes in facilitating fundamental transformation as well as cultivating these innate human skills in others through keynote speeches eq workshops expedition style intensives through her company adventure awake and one on one coaching let's get started hey everyone i'm deepa light functional medicine practitioner author and you and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer podcast, the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. And it's such a pleasure to have you on the Sleep Whisperer podcast. We've been having this conversation for a while and I've been waiting and looking forward to this and look at us on two different corners of the planet coming together for a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Um and we're talking about something which sounds so magical, transformation and we're talking about how adversity can actually become a tool to transform yourself so these are all wonderful things that people can take away and use challenges in their life to become something magical and new so how about you just get started first telling me about your story Well, I guess to speak to the corners of the world that we're in, I am located in Denmark. I'm an American, and um that's a big part of my story actually. When I expatriated here almost a decade ago, uh I was living in a completely different life. I was working in investment banking and I got a job in Denmark. And uh over the course of the next 4 to 5 years I started to realize that um 
Well, more asking myself this question of, is this how I'm going to spend the rest of my life? And being an expat, being in a culture where people speak a different language, called forth a part of me that I had never really had to use before, um, or at least be aware of my use of it, which was a certain level of emotional intelligence. Because when you have two people where one is speaking a second language, um, where they're not totally comfortable in the language, learning to discern what someone means beyond their words and learning how to discern their nuance is a really valuable asset to help you create connection with people in the place that you live. And um, I am a linguist, I speak French also, and I learned Danish when I came here. And I started to realize that um, it didn't really matter what you were saying, it mattered what you were transmitting off of your body. And mm -hmm. that was how I learned French as well as I did. And it was also what made it possible for me to learn Danish and speak Danish fluently, even though I started learning it in my 30s. And um, while I was working in banking, I was also speaking Danish and I realized that I had these other aspects of myself, which I was using outside of the office more than inside of it. And eventually was like, I think I need to quit my job and embark on a new journey. And so I did, and I started my own company and I started teaching emotional intelligence and coaching people to live in the world in a more heart centric way to learn how to come home to themselves and uh, clearly transmit what's really at their essence rather than focusing on the tangible things or the words. Um, and that transformational journey was so important for me in my life that of course it felt important to share it with other people. Um, so that's kind of the cliff notes of my, of my story. And of course there's so much more, but um, yeah, 12 year career in banking to uh, emotional intelligence expert, speaker, coach. Uh, there's a there's a, a lot in there. <laughs> and it's so beautiful, Andresa, because really even in yoga, there is this thing that um, uh, actually when we speak, that's probably the most gross form of communication and there's so much more beyond that. Yes. Uh, so it's really how many of us really tune into that kind of communication because we're so rooted in the words. Yes. Uh, I think that's a beautiful thing that you shared. But did you ever have times of challenging sleep yourself? Yeah, I mean, um, I think that particularly, so I, I guess I want to say one of the reasons why I said yes to even being in this interview in the first place is because if anybody were to ask me what my main priority is in my life. And I'm talking above brushing my teeth, above keeping my skin clean, it's sleep. Mm. And it, it always has been, I've always been um, a very big sleeper. You know, when I was little, I was the kid that really did sleep like 12 hours a night. And as an adult, I have really seen the value of sleep be so, so, so important to me. And during this course of change that I was just talking about in this transformation period in my life where I was changing my career, I was changing my lifestyle, I was changing my friends, I was changing my relationships with my family members, like everything kind of got turned over on its head. I went through a period of two years where um, I woke up every single night in the middle of the night mm. with a panic attack no less. Like it was like, I wasn't, I, like I'd wake up with anxiety 
and or or a full-on full-fledged panic attack and because of how important sleep has always been to me and i never really understood you know like why when i was young but of course as an adult i started to realize how valuable it was having that two-year period where my sleep was so heavily disrupted where I would have, I'd sleep upside down in my bed, like just to try and change the scene of my room to lure me back to sleep. I learned breathing exercises in order to fall back asleep. Um, it completely disrupted my entire life. And it was actually the catalyst for me to start uh, embarking on seeking for something different than what I had already experienced in my life because I was losing my mind. Like to not have a full night of sleep yeah. Was, making, was making me totally crazy. And I was like, I have to hack this code. And that was what led me, I had a, a background in yoga already, but that was what led me towards meditation. And it's what eventually led me towards starting to take personal development courses. And um, in the first six months of learning how to meditate, my sleep completely resolved again. And I went back to eight to nine hours of sleep a night. And now if I have a disrupted night of sleep, it's quite rare. Um, and there's usually a, a reason for it besides coffee. Thank and that's so uh, insightful that really when I speak about and you put it down so beautifully about hacking the code of sleep and I really think that's what it is because it's something that is not that complicated if you really put the pieces together but yet it's something that's so ignored all over the world as something which is an integral part of health and transformation as you speak about so uh, what does transformation really mean so apart from now you had this amazing journey of transformation uh, to different people literally from an investment banker to this new role but what does it mean as a overall and overarching term so transformation, and this is, I think that this is particularly important for people who are looking to make changes in their lives so that they can feel as though they're living in a more authentic way. And what I mean by that is that their insides are reflected in their outsides and vice versa. Their outsides are a reflection of their insides. And um, when you go through a transformational process, it's a proper metamorphosis. So you think about the butterfly who goes into the cocoon, turns into goo and comes out, or the caterpillar goes into the cocoon, turns into goo, and then turns into a butterfly, comes out a butterfly. That, that is what transformation is. It's really changing form, transform. So you're, you, you come in a caterpillar, you go out a butterfly. So if me coming in a banker, which is so funny because I'm not really a banker. I, I studied French and music in school. And so I was kind of still an art, artist and humanitarian even when I was in banking, but I lived in a different world than I live in now for sure. And I, of course, dress different and look different. I don't have to wear stockings and high heels to work every day. Um, but I also changed from the inside. I mean, the part of transformation when a caterpillar turns into butterfly that is so valuable to understand is that there's a point where the caterpillar dissolves, like it completely turns in to goop um, and then recreates itself with the cellular structures of that goop into a beautiful butterfly. So that's what transformation is. Um, the way it shows up in our lives is, can be something really simple. You know, somebody who decides to go on a journey towards um, losing fat, for example, or um, starts to create healthier habits in their life 
starts to meditate, starts to, um, or, or, you know, changes the way that they decide to talk to their children. It can be something very, very basic that is, is the start of a, of a big transformation. Learning to listen, learning how to communicate in an emotionally intelligent way. Those all are catalysts for transformation in the same way that me learning to meditate was a catalyst for my transformation. You know, and what I mean by a catalyst is it, it, it is the cue, you know, it's like the, we're going to change, change gears now. <laughs> and uh, so you, it sounds like you say that intuition should guide, intuition should guide right. on the area that you want to really transform yourself. Is Absolutely. that right? Yeah. yeah. So, and uh, it was also interesting that you spoke about when you had sleep challenges and you used to wake up with anxiety or even full-blown panic attacks. And I think that's been one of the biggest um, spill-off of poor sleep for most people waking up in the middle of the night with anxiety and panic attack and feeling a general sense of overwhelm. And you spoke about how you meditated your way to better sleep and how you hacked the code of sleep. And I just love that term. Mm -hmm. um, so if somebody's feeling overwhelmed, of course, it can deeply impact them, not just in sleep, but overall what uh, who they are. And that can really become something to weigh them down and prevents the transformation. So what exactly is overwhelm and what can somebody do when they're uh, deeply overwhelmed that it just takes them over? Yeah, this is a really important question and I'm really glad that you're asking it because one of the key aspects of emotional intelligence is actually, um, first of all, the literacy of emotion. So learning the words to describe how you feel. One of the second aspects of emotional intelligence is not being afraid of the vast range of feelings that exist on the spectrum of our emotions. Mm -hmm. Another aspect is the discernment between a nervous system activated reaction, which means that you perceive threat and feel scared and your feelings, which are physical sensations at their root. Mm -hmm. so I want to say all of that first, because usually when someone feels overwhelmed, they're not really registering that they feel overwhelmed. So they've missed an opportunity and it's not a bad thing. It's just that we're not taught, oh, I feel overwhelmed right now. I should maybe address the overwhelm. Yeah. What most people do when they feel overwhelmed is that they allow themselves to just get busier and they add more and they distract themselves from the overwhelm and they try to like, you know, like a cat with a laser pointer. They try to like focus their attention somewhere else. Right. And I'm sure that like, I know that I certainly, when I say this out loud to you, I certainly resonate with a part of myself that was living that life. Of like, maybe if I just keep going, you know, like Dory and Finding Nemo, like if I just keep swimming, just keep swimming, that this will eventually go away. Yeah. And it's like changing, it's like chasing a hungry ghost. Because if you don't address the root cause of overwhelm and what's happening for you in your body and also your existential, what your, what story you're telling yourself about being overwhelmed, if you don't address those pieces, 
overwhelm just gets worse and worse and worse until the point where um, you start having accidents, mm-hmm. you start um, getting sick. You know, people people get sick because their their system has been in a state of overwhelm for so long that their body is like, hang on, we are hitting the timeout button. You need yeah. to start listening to your body. Yeah. And so you go, you said earlier, like um, the importance of listening to your intuition. For me, that's the bottom line. If we all listened to our intuition, we would be in a much different world right now. And my vision for the world is that that happens and the transformation required means that people have to stop listening to what's outside of them and address what's inside and partly why we feel overwhelmed. Uh, So when you speak about overwhelm and how it's so similar to anxiety and you differentiated that you need to tune into whether it's a physiological aspect of it or something deep within yourself. So what can people actually do when they are, uh, what are the practical ways that you guide somebody to move past overwhelm? So one of the most valuable things that I have found is to, when you're feeling a specific feeling, identify um, if there's a story associated with it, like what you're telling yourself about how you feel and the physical sensations. So um, effectively feel it, which most people are like, why would I want to feel overwhelmed? And I want to say, you already do. So why not actually just go into it so that you can stop feeling overwhelmed rather than try to constantly run away from it, which is what most people do as a response to feeling overwhelmed. They don't even register that. Yeah. So, and when I say feel it, I don't mean think about why you're overwhelmed. That's really, really important because that sends you on a hamster wheel, downward spiral, rabbit hole thing that we, we want to try and not do. I mean, feel it. I mean, feel in your body. What does your heart feel like? What does your chest feel like? How does your skin feel? What's your temperature? Um, do you feel bubbly sensations? Is there something dense somewhere? Is it moving? Like that level of detail of the physical sensations of overwhelm because when you can be present with a physical sensation associated with an emotion it no longer becomes threatening and that's really important because overwhelm ultimately is a form of reaction we feel overwhelmed because we also feel powerless and we feel powerless because we feel scared and so it's really important for us to um, untangle what's what so that we can actually get clear about what we need. And usually if we're trying to address our needs when our nervous system, our sympathetic nervous system perceives a threat, we're gonna be really limited in that scope. We're not gonna be able to really be able to see in the long term we might be able to see what we need instantly like i need a glass of wine that's usually what people are like give me give me alcohol give me drugs give me something soothing sugar sugar totally netflix like the things that create instant gratification they don't help us resolve overwhelm they help distract us from it and so learning the long term Um, investment needs that ultimately make it possible for us to move beyond getting knocked out by overwhelm 
are the places where we need to focus, but we won't do that if we won't allow ourselves to feel it first. And so that's the key. And Antissa, you know, that is so uh, deeply connected to uh, something like yoga nidra. So I don't know if you are familiar with yoga nidra, where um, sometimes it's about telling people to feel a sensation of pain all over, but then you're also telling them don't get attached to the pain, don't identify, think that you're an observer. And yes. you're just watching where are the areas of pain. So is pain showing up as a darkness somewhere or is it? So that sounded so similar to uh, when you said that don't get, uh, don't get bogged down as to why are you overwhelmed. Just watch. Is it you said about temperature, about... So there could be so many sensations. Is it a heaviness in your chest? That was beautiful. Uh, so it's a, definitely a great way because I think people do and we're all, I mean, I'm sure I'm guilty of it many times where I'm saying, why do I feel this way rather than just observing it like I'm an observer to myself and not really identifying with that. So that was great. But uh, how can you know what you need beyond a great night's sleep? Well, so this is really interesting. Have you ever heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? No. Um, it's a, it's, I guess, rooted in psychology and it looks like a pyramid. <laughs> and at the bottom, you know, you have your basic needs. You have, I need a roof over my head. I need food in my body. I need warmth if it's cold outside. Um, I, I need to procreate or I need to have sex. Like that's actually a basic human need. Then you get to the more evolved level of, of human needs and it's like i need intellectual stimulation i need uh friendships that support my growth uh, you know like it starts to be more and more refined yeah. and one of the things that we and this is a really subtle thing that i just have noticed in myself and in my clients is that we have this idea that if we transform we'll no longer need anything because one of the reasons why we get all messed up in the world in the first place is because we don't feel comfortable having our needs met. Like we, we don't feel safe to ask for our needs. We don't feel comfortable going after what it is that we feel like we need, even if our intuition's telling us loud and clear exactly what that thing is. And so usually the biggest barrier for people is some level of permission to actually just pursue it. But we have belief systems about everything. And one of the belief systems that we tend to carry is that we shouldn't need things. And so um, we tend to be really, really limited in that scope. And oftentimes, if you were raised in an environment where you really didn't have your needs met, you may not even know where to look. And in this way, in this sense, um, transformation is like a scientific study. You know, like you need to research and find out where your biases are and figure out whether or not that need really suits you and for how long, whether it's indulgent for you to go into that need all the time or if it would serve you to shift gears and go towards something else, whether you truly feel fulfilled by that thing or if there's still something missing. It's, it's a process of getting to know ourselves without having the world dictate what the answer to our question is and actually allowing that to move through. And trial and error is a really great way to find out what your needs are. 
but you can also read, you can also observe, spend some time with people who are living in a way that you admire and, and mirror them just to get an idea of what your options are. And yeah. um, one of the resources that I also use a lot with my clients is nonviolent communication. They have a list of needs on there. And I grew up in an environment where I was pretty neglected. I, you know, parents were dealing with their own stuff. They couldn't really be bothered with me. And so as an adult, I had to learn what I needed beyond a full night of sleep, which I obviously knew, but there were things beyond that that I didn't even know that I could ask for. And nonviolent communication was a really powerful tool for me to um, see that I wasn't just an idealist. I actually had true human needs that deserve to be met in my connections with other people. Um, and I use that a lot. And I can send you the link for that if you want to post that into the show yes, notes. definitely. Because that sounded so interesting. And I think that uh, I talk a lot about adverse childhood experiences and how it definitely plays a role, like how you said neglect so many people don't actually make that connection where uh, they don't understand that perhaps they are more needy more jealous because something wasn't fulfilled early on but that it's perfectly fine to understand what are your needs and to be vulnerable about it yeah. uh, and you need to be vulnerable to somebody who's very close to you and uh, transform that relationship with that vulnerability. I truly believe that in close relationships, it's important to be vulnerable so that you can transform that relationship. And that core relationship can be at the core of everything else. So um, that's definitely a good point. But um, now, re recovery, sleep, uh, you say it's a basic need, but uh, there are so many people who actually neglect it in spite of it being a basic need. It's, uh, um, and um, this whole adrenal overdrive, and we are actually living in an age where there's sympathetic dominance. So there's sympathetic dominance everywhere, and that's actually the reason why People are normally saying, I'm a night owl. I don't really need sleep. But that's not really true because it's having its impact at some deep level, which probably they're just missing. Uh, so if, it's, if sleep is an essential part of this transformation process, what can actually, what would it look like if that was not met in somebody's life? Let's say somebody was struggling with sleep, unable to hack the code of sleep, as you put it. So what would it look like in their journey of transformation? To stop doing that, you mean? Yes. To, to stop neglecting their sleep? Yes. You know, I think one of the most important things is that um, change and growth would happen much more effortlessly. We, we really, and as you said, this is so true. We are living in sympathetic dominance, which means that your sympathetic nervous system is on overdrive. And your sympathetic nervous system is important for a lot of things, but um, it also has a friend called the parasympathetic nervous system. And the yes. two of them need to be working in harmony with one another. And the parasympathetic nervous system is what is primarily activated while you're sleeping, but it's also responsible for the exhale, it's responsible for um, the absorption of the nutrients that you're eating. 
you know, there's a lot of more, the more subtle um, aspects of our human physiology. And so when you, what, like, to, if I wanted to illustrate what would happen if we didn't sleep, I want you to think about what it would be like if we stopped exhaling. Mm. And what's really interesting about this is I have asthma. And asthma is a chronic disease where it's difficult to exhale, which means that the carbon dioxide in my body, I have a harder time when I'm, when my asthma is triggered, I have a harder time getting carbon dioxide out of my body. And when you're having an asthma attack, effectively what's happening is your, of course, your bronchial tubes are inflamed. That's one aspect of it, but you also start to get poisoned by carbon dioxide. And that is really what's going on when you have asthma. And, and so if, if anybody's listening and they have asthma, like that's, imagine that happening on an, in a total level in your body because you're only using your sympathetic nervous system and you're very, very rarely giving yourself an opportunity to recover, to restore, to rehabilitate and to um, rebuild. And so if someone opts to prioritize their sleep, which um, most people, you know, many people identify with thinking that they don't need more sleep, like you said, they they are like, I only need five hours of sleep a night. And that's just a habit. That doesn't yeah. mean that your body needs five hours of sleep a night. Almost every body needs seven to eight hours of sleep a night, a night minimum. So when you start to actually prioritize something as simple as your sleep health and your sleep hygiene your your whole life starts to shift because what happens during the daytime is you're able to you have the energy the actual energy stores in your body to be more present in your life and so while it's very subtle um you save more time the amount of time that we waste reeling in our thoughts because we don't have energetic capacity to have the discipline required to focus especially now because of all of the distractions and all the technology that we're constantly surrounded by. Like, imagine that subtle change, making it possible for you to be like, I'm going to open my phone right now. I'm going to get on Facebook, but actually I have all these other things to do. And I have the energy to say to myself, no, Antisa, you're going to actually go do these other things. Facebook can wait. It will still be there when you get back. Mm. And when I'm exhausted, I'm going to pour exhausted energy into Facebook and I'm going to be too exhausted to pull myself out of it. And then suddenly I don't get anything done. Yeah. And um, it's the same in our relationships. It, you know, forget being productive. Our ability to be present in a relationship is actually the juice of transformation in relationship. Yeah. It is, it is the thing that fuels a relationship's ability to grow and to transform and to become better over time. And usually because we start to neglect our relationships because we're too tired, you know, maybe, maybe sleeping in the same bed is part of the reason why you're tired, actually. Like this yeah. is a really interesting development in the most recent 50 to hundred years is that um, partners are sleeping in the same bed. They used to never sleep in the same bed. They used to sleep in different rooms and now they're with one another all the time. And a lot of people I know in relationships, their sleep is impacted by sharing a bed with their partner. And then yes. it's impacted if their partner's not there or if their partner snores or whatever. Yeah. But we've told ourselves, I'm in a relationship, I should be sleeping pasted next to my husband or wife or whatever. So there's, there's just a lot that you could totally untangle around sleep hygiene. But 
of course, you have to be willing to challenge your belief systems around what sleep means to you and what it's supposed to look like. Because a lot of people, for example, if they're disturbed by their partner sleeping, would never address that because then they, they would, if they slept in a different room than their partner, that must mean there's something wrong with their marriage, Yeah. for example. And it's just yeah. not true. And we get to define the rules of what makes our healthy, makes a relationship healthy based on our unique relationship, not based on what society tells us is the right way to do it. And you know, Andriza, there was a beautiful uh, little pictogram a while ago, which I saw, which showed six different sleeping positions of couples. And uh, it was so interesting that the one which said you turn to each other before you go to sleep, you cuddle each other for a minute or so, and then you turn away and you find your comfortable positions. Mm -hmm. And it said that that was the position which was indicative of the closest relationship. So it wasn't the one where they held each other all night. So um. what you said, First, uh, really, uh, you have to challenge your beliefs. That's absolutely true because you do hear a lot of people who believe that if they sleep in different rooms, there's something wrong with them. And uh, my husband is a big snorer, so we actually don't sleep in the same room and sleep has been great ever since we did that. <laughs> uh, and by no means do we feel that we do not have a great relationship. I really think that's a very valid point that people should take away from our conversation. But uh, quickly before we conclude, I know we have just a few minutes left. Uh, tell me when you were on this journey of your transformation, what did your intuition tell you? And uh, share about two or three things that you actually did practically which helped you on that journey of transforming yourself i would say um well there's a bit of a, a short background story is that when, when i was 19 in college i went to the university of oregon and i was taking psychology classes because i was interested in it and I had a culture and psychology class with a teacher who um, she, she specialized in borderline personality disorder, which I was really interested in. And we got into the classroom and the first thing that she did was she asked us to get into small groups and define what normal is. Mm -hmm. And I studied French and music primarily in school. I took a lot of psychology classes and sociology and philosophy, but that class marked me very, very deeply because of that singular question. And so, and, and it, that, that made the thousands of dollars worth of university debt that I also had to pay back totally worth it because I can't tell you how many times I've applied that question to my life. And so the first time I asked myself that question was um, when I felt bound by this idea that I was supposed to live my life in a specific way and being an expat in a foreign culture, which is also a small country, Denmark is especially one of those places where there is really a normal way to do things. And if you're not a normal way of doing things person, you're an outcast in society. And I had to be willing to ask the question, what is normal for me mm. here? in order to break myself free from the stigma that I was supposed to live my life in a specific way, because 
I had it great. I had a six figure job. I was in a senior role. I had seven weeks of vacation. I had a visa to live permanently in one of the happiest countries on earth, according to the human happiness index or whatever it's called. And I wasn't happy. I was not satisfied with my life. And if I was on the outside looking in, and in fact, that was the reflection I got from many people was that I should be thrilled about how great my life was. And I would go home and be like, I don't really feel that fulfilled. I'm not Mm. consistently happy. And I had to be willing to ask myself, what would happiness look like for me? What does normal look like for me? Even though everyone else sees my life and thinks, Antisa, you've got it really great. I didn't feel that way. And I burdened myself by saying that I should feel that way for a really long time. And there was this huge disconnect between what was actually going on and how it looked. So being willing to ask ourselves, what's normal for me? How do I create a certain level of homeostasis and peace and harmony inside of my own body? And what would that require of me in terms of how I'm currently living my life? So that you have the lay of the land, like, okay, maybe I'm going to need to change some of my relationships. Maybe there's going to be a career change at some point. Maybe I need to eventually be an entrepreneur. Maybe I need to have kids. Maybe I shouldn't have kids. Maybe I need to have a partner who I never live with. Like, what, what does my life look like if I were to design it myself without any infiltration from the outside world whatsoever? So that was a key, that was a key piece for that. Um, constantly being willing to disidentify with how I feel. You pointed this out earlier. I'm really glad you said it because we often over-identify with our physical sensations and cultivating the ability to just watch it and observe it, express it so that it can feel real. This is, as you said too, this is very powerful is, is the most gross level that there is, is to speak it into life but then you got to let it go. If you start to attach yourself to the things like learning how to detach is a huge, huge, huge factor in being able to actually transform because you're not ever leaving anything behind. You're stripping away the layers of the things that are not you so that who you are can come up to the surface more easily. That's all. Um, and I'm willing to be vulnerable in that. Yes. Yes. It's huge because to be able to say how you feel um, and not be attached to how other people are gonna receive that, that also is an act of vulnerability and total surrender. Because I might say that I feel overwhelmed and terrified. And if I'm constantly preoccupied with how the person I'm telling that to is gonna think about me. Yes. It's gonna get in a huge obstacle. It's gonna, it's gonna really get in the way. So. Very, very important point that you say there. Um, And always being willing to question what I believe to be true. Always being willing to get humble that what I think I know could be completely false. Instead of accusing other people of being wrong, actually being willing to say, what if they're right? What if we're both right? And, you know, Niels Bohr, Niels Bohr says um, the opposite of, of a, something true is false and the opposite of a profound truth is another profound truth and making space for paradox making space for two people with opposing views to be right 
not only serves you on an individual level, but it serves the planet in a very, very major way because there's so much division that happens. And we have division that exists inside of ourselves. We're living in an either or world inside of our own bodies and it's a prison cell. And it keeps yeah. us from connecting with other people and it keeps us from connecting with ourselves because we think we either need to be this way or that way. No, why don't you be all the things? There's nothing wrong with that. So those and I are, think those are I think what you said about two profound truth is all the more required in our world, a technological world today, because social media can be that space where uh, you see this kind of discord where somebody says, if you don't see my eye to eye with me, then I'm going to be, uh, unfriend you. So I think it's really beautiful that if we can, and I've always believed that you can absolutely have a great relationship with somebody who has the opposite belief and you can just um, look with curiosity at each other's beliefs and just talk about it. So why do you, what makes you feel that way? What makes you believe that? And look at it like two children who would explore that with curiosity. Mm, yes. Based on my experience, and this is, you know, most of my interactions with people are, well, not always in the Western world, though. Um, I mean, I've done a lot of traveling to places that are not in the Western world, but in the Western world, I think it's time scarcity. It's this idea that there's never going to be enough time. Mm -hmm. And um, especially because we're constantly connected now, we have this idea that if we stay up for another two hours, that we'll get more done. But it creates this um, very slippery slope of just getting more and more tired. And um, I know for me, if I'm up past 10 o'clock at night, it's because I think that I'm not gonna have time to do this thing tomorrow. And actually, if you wake up energized at seven o'clock in the morning, you will have plenty of time and plenty of energy to get the thing done that you think is needed. And we feel scarce about time because we've attached our worth with our productivity. And that's something that has come in the last 100 years in the industrial revolution our sense of value, our sense of reality in our lives, our sense of identity is very, very attached with what we are capable of creating and putting out into the world. And if we don't do enough, then suddenly we are losing our identity, we're losing our value. And so we rush to try and get as much done as possible. And that's something that I feel that the Eastern world and, and different areas of the planet that haven't gone on that ride in the same way have benefited greatly by not having gone on that ride because they have uh, embodied or let's say maintained the importance of being and of stillness and of rest and of connection and of simplicity and, and not trying to overcomplicate their lives by trying to output more than they have of energy available for. And we have a lot to learn. From, from the people who have maintained that because they're here to take us home. They're not here to counter something or you know, tell us we're doing it wrong. It's really like, this is who you are, who we are, are beings, not human doings, you know? So. Yeah, exactly. Being versus doing was exactly what I was going to say. Thank you for being on the show today. And uh, I am going to take away lots of magical tools from what we spoke about today for myself and I'm sure that the audience as well will um, start to look a little deeper at their intuition as to what they need to transform in their life. So thanks for being here today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. I also really enjoyed our conversation. 
This podcast is intended to provide helpful and informative material on the subject matter covered in the episodes. The podcast is not acting in the capacity of a doctor or a registered dietitian and is not rendering any professional healthcare or medical service. The information in the podcast is not intended as a substitute for medical advice or services or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. The advice and tools contained herein may not be suitable for your situation. Any medical questions regarding contraindications and cautions or any questions on whether or not to proceed with any practices provided in the show should be referred to qualified health professionals before adopting the same. The podcast specifically disclaims any responsibility for any liability, loss, risk, personal or otherwise which may be incurred as a direct or indirect consequence of the use of information from this podcast or the application adoption of any of the information provided.